Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 366. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week's guest is Brad Shepard. Brad is a real estate investor with over 20 years of experience, coming from a unique background in sales and business development and being involved in a startup. He now helps individuals build wealth by investing passively in recession-resistant commercial real estate. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jacob. I'm excited to be here. It's our pleasure. Well, Brad, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, all that good stuff. Boy, okay. I'll try to give you like the 60-second version. (laughs) Okay. Fail at that too. But yeah, I've been involved in real estate for quite a while. Bought my first rental right out of college. It was a condo. So this is back in 2002. Been involved in pretty much all aspects, most aspects of real estate from rentals and fix and flips. In a prior life, I was at that startup that you mentioned. One of the things we did was some real estate development there or real estate where we had some vacation rentals, you know, like pre Airbnb days. Yeah. Uh, Some cool old historic homes in touristy areas. We even built a multi-purpose retail unit where we had a retail shop and cafe and hotel rooms on the top an art gallery on the bottom. Uh, So I was involved in all aspects of that, including fundraising for that. And then when we came to Texas about 10 years ago, started doing some more active type uh, real estate strategies, fix and flips, buying properties sub to really trying to see how I could accelerate growth in my own portfolio. And then, you know, after doing all right there, we, and we still have a small, you know, our own still little suite of single family rentals. Yeah. We started looking at how do we get into a, some bigger opportunities? So we started looking at the commercial real estate world, primarily multifamily. So that's really where we've been focused for the last three years and what we do now. Really where I found, I feel like I found my passion, where I have become a co-sponsor of some large multifamily assets and then help invest, really educate potential investors about these opportunities as a really solid asset class and alternative to the stock market, but a really fun way to get involved in real estate without picking paint colors and tile, dealing with contractors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's yeah. what it three years. No, that's great. So yeah, like so many people, Brad, you know, you get started in real estate at some point, somehow the you get the kind of the bite or uh, I don't know what they say, like, what's the phrase? Like the bug bites you or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't Catch know. But uh, anyways, you know, somehow everybody kind of finds themselves in real estate. And then at some point, people kind of transition to, you know, bigger deals or, you know, go from the single family to the duplexes or the duplexes to the fourplexes. So what about like that kind of multifamily space drew you to it? Yes, but particularly, so we're talking about large multifamily, it's economies of scale and the professionalism of it, to be honest. So yeah, nothing against the single family stuff or the duplexes or threeplexes that, you know, that's where I built my experience and got a lot of knowledge. I think a lot of people start there and for good reason. But once you get into the large commercial multifamily space, now you're talking about just different levels of 
sophistication that the concept is the exact same. It's essentially a long fix and flip, to be honest. But you're talking about professional sellers, professional brokers, professional property management, full-time handyman and maintenance staff that's dealing with things. And so it's just a much different conversation. We're, you know, when we look at properties, it's an Excel function. You know, we're literally looking through Excel spreadsheets. Of course, we're going to go on site and do those due diligence checks, but it's not massive fear of what's behind the walls. You're more talking about this is a business. We're buying a cash flow stream. And so it's, does it make sense as a business function or not? And then, you know, the, the property management, I mean, these are large organizations. Sometimes they're publicly traded organizations. They know what they're doing. So it's a whole different ballgame as opposed to being your own single family landlord and, or trying to, you know, manage yourself or have a small little realtor who also does some property management and you're dealing with that stuff. So it's just, I like the economies of scale and the professional aspect of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I like how you kind of break that down. Like the fundamentals are the same with the larger multifamily stuff, right? Just bigger numbers, bigger, more professional exactly. deals sometimes. Those fundamentals of, like you said, it's like a long-term fix and flip or maybe a long bird deal, right? Those exactly. kind of fundamentals are the same, whether it's single family, small multifamily, or even these larger multifamily deals, you just get that economy of scale. So I agree. So there's nothing that says you have to start in the single family side. You could jump right into the larger deals. The only difference I would say is, I mean, of course, the bigger number. So team up. You can do single family rentals by yourself. If you've got a day job and you just want to do pick up some rentals or do some flips on the side, you want to live in a flip. Cool. You can do all that, but you don't have to. I mean, you could start right with go tackle a 150 unit apartment complex. You just need a team. And that's one that took me a long time to realize. And, you know, I was trying to do the lone wolf approach. Once I realized, okay, I want to get in these bigger deals. All right. How do I do this? Turns out, okay, it's about a team. And then it just becomes a team sport, which is actually more fun anyway. Tell us about how you made that transition and, you know, kind of turning that point to, you know, going to that team approach as a, you know, that solopreneur, if you will. So, you know, again, thinking about it from a lone wolf stance, I was, you know, tired out of the fix and flips and rentals and dealing with, even with a good property manager, you're still dealing with the tenant issues to one degree or another. So started looking at the commercial space did some reading, read some books, started networking in that world and began reaching out to commercial brokers thinking, okay, I want to go source my own deal here. As I was learning how to, you know, what questions do I need to ask? You know, what is the due diligence process here? I had to learn all those things, but I started reaching out to these brokers and realizing, okay, this is fierce competition. There's a lot of smart, intelligent group teams that are already talking to the same broker. How am I going to get good deals out of this guy? And so you know, originally I was thinking about it going out and sourcing my own deal. But then as I was having those conversations with brokers and realizing, okay, that's really what made the light bulb go on for me was that this really is a team sport. What is there a way for me to either go join a team rather than compete against these teams or have to create my own team? What if I could go work with teams that are already doing this and already have all these systems in place, these relationships primarily to tackle these large properties? And so that's really what I did then was essentially hook my cart to these individuals that these teams that were doing this exactly what I wanted to do already. And so again, just through the networking met these folks that I was able to latch on to and it's been a fun ride since then. Sounds like you've kind of got some lessons learned from your startup days that you've applied to the real estate world. You think that's true? For sure. You know, the the largest company I've ever worked for had like 30 people. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> so I've generally worked for small organizations. It's a whole different ball game. It's nimble. It's the resources are different. 
It can be frustrating at times, but it's also you got to be resourceful. And so these teams we're talking about, it might be two or three guys. (laughs) It's not a large organization. And so I definitely feel like it fits my personality where, you know, even though you divide and conquer, everybody still wears multiple hats for sure. And so, yeah, those startup days, you know, this is my 20s. I joined a startup. I was employee number two when I was a junior in college and spent about nine years with that company before we sold it. Had a blast, learned a ton of things. And I was able to be involved in all aspects, literally from fundraising, making sure we, you know, there were weeks that we were stressed about making payroll, hiring, firing, the whole bit. So really running an organization that's really helped in looking at these apartment complexes that really are a business. Now, how do we fine tune it? How do we improve it? What's the organization behind it that needs to be in place so that we can do well with this business stream? Sure. When you're thinking about rental properties, Brad, like you said, they're like their own little business, right? Whether that's a single family or a 200 unit apartment complex. But in that kind of single family space, you are the person that's wearing all the hats, right? You're the CEO, you're the janitor, you're the accountant, you're everybody, right? When you transition into that larger space, those hats get too big and are too much responsibility for one to wear all of them, right? So that's where you have to bring on the power of the team and rely on other people. So what do you think there? I completely agree. So when you suppress whatever it is, you know, most people say around 80 to 100 units. Now you have the ability to have permanent on-site property management. You've got a leaking office. Completely changes the ballgame. Now you've got somebody whose job it is. This is their nine to five job to make sure those apartments are full, to manage the rehabs as you're improving properties, improving units. They're right there on site. When you're below that, you know, some people get, after they get tired of rentals, single family rentals, they might start looking at 16 unit, 30 unit, 40 unit apartments. Awesome. That's a nice little leap, but it's just not to a point where you could afford a full-time property manager to deliver on site. So you're still going to be dealing with the same nonsense you deal with the one and two and three and four unit properties. Once you get that on-site team, night and day difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it just gives you the kind of a power to, you know, outsource those tasks that that person is way better at doing, right? Handling leases, handling renovations, handling the day-to-day operations, and you get to do the things that you're good at. Exactly. So where, you know, when I think about the 30 units, the four units, you basically, you know, you bought a, whatever, a Subway franchise, a Taco Bell franchise, but you're doing everything. You're the one, you're the cook in the back, you're <laughs> you're the, the cashier at the front, you're sweeping the floors, mopping the floors at the end of the night. Once you get up to those bigger units, now you're the franchisee who's hired a manager, who's hiring the teenagers that are doing the, you know, flipping the burgers and running the cash machines, whatever. And so it makes you now, you're able to look at it from a business owner stance, as opposed to the hands-on doer of all the tasks that have to get done. Yeah, I like that analogy. Now, people probably look at some of these larger multifamily deals and think, well, there's no way I could just jump right into those, right? The numbers are way too big. I don't have the experience. And even if I understood, you know, this is a team sport. I don't know what I could bring to the table. What would you have to say to someone like that? It's a fair concern. And I think we've all suffered from it. You want to make sure that you know, it can be intimidating. And especially you know, when I was doing those first outreaches to those commercial brokers, stumbling all over myself. And <laughs> how do I make myself look credible? It's challenging. And so having some experience already doing what I had done before was helpful. But again, it's, I wouldn't discourage anybody from starting with the smaller properties. But if you want to go right to the larger things, it's just about a team and finding folks who are willing to train and to mentor. There are things, there are due diligence aspects. So even if somebody is just getting started in real estate, they're green to the whole market. There are things like we need somebody to fly out there. We need somebody to visit this property, walk around, take some pictures, 
there are somebody that has to be willing to put in the time and the grunt work aspects that somebody could contribute if they're coming in new. If you're talking about somebody who's a little bit older, they might have solid relationships, people with dollars. Every one of these things takes a handful of investors, passive investors, make it work. So somebody could come in from the relationship side, bringing dollars to the table as opposed to hours. So there's definitely ways, but it's a cool industry. Once you get involved, you see there's a good several dozen operators who are really front and center. They like to be out there in public. They're educational. They're helpful. So there's so many that you could latch onto that would be willing to guide and to mentor for sure. Yeah. And like you say, there's kind of two sides of this coin. Once you get into the larger multifamily deals, you can take the more active approach and go out and source the deals and manage the property manager and put those deals together, right? Or if you're a busy professional or someone who just doesn't want to spend the time doing all those things, you can take the more passive side and you know be a passive investor and bring the capital rather than the hours, like you said. So there's a really a cool different path you know, in that world as opposed to single family where we, like you said, you're wearing all the hats and it's active almost no matter what. Right. I remember my first fix and flip. I felt like I was living the property. <laughs> I might as well have. Spent my whole days there, you know, doing three or four Home Depot runs a day. I had a contractor, quote unquote contractor, doing three or four Home Depot runs a day. I'd come home with my stack of receipts. And, you know, it took weeks and it was just, okay. I knew I could make more money in a professional environment than I was used to. And that's, you know, where I, had, you know, where my W2 career was. My wife is a CPA. We've come from that world. So the, the people who are killing it on the flips, killing it as wholesalers, awesome. They've got that skill set. They want, they've got that hustle. Go for it. For what I've enjoyed is those conversations with people like what you're talking about, successful business owners, doctors, lawyers. They're doing well wherever they're at right now. They know real estate is a solid investment, but they have no interest in hanging out at a flip property for a <laughs> and coming home back of Home Depot receipts, right? So here's another opportunity that people can put dollars to work in these properties. And that's where I spend my time and is, is educating these potential investors. And I love those conversations, educating people about what these are, how they work, how they compare to stocks, et cetera. So you really can't come at it from whatever angle you currently find yourself in. Yeah, no, that's it's totally, it's a good point. And it's a good advantage of you know being able to do either kind of route in the multifamily space. Let's talk about kind of the passive side of things, you know, what are some of the benefits that passive investors get when investing in, you know, these large multifamily deals commonly through syndications, right? Right. And that's honestly how I started. As I was starting to look at being a you know sourcing my own deals, being on the active side, once I started working with some other operators who were already active in the space, the first thing I did was participate passively, right? How does this work? So they had a deal that they were syndicating. I came in as a limited partner. Just put up some dollars to participate to see how it went. It was, you know, I learned a ton just from that. So I could see the paperwork that they were doing, how they were presenting the deals, what the expected returns were. And then after it closed, are those returns actually happening as they were projected? So learned a ton from that. I actually did three of those deals passively before I did anything on the general partner side. What I've seen on my experience on the passive investor side and what I'm, my investors were experiencing is really comparable to what I'm also seeing on my own single family rentals. And when I say single family rentals, I'm including my duplexes and fourplexes. Right, in that. right. Yeah. And, but you know, they've appreciated well. I'm seeing more, I'm gaining more wealth from that appreciation on those properties that are here in Austin and San Antonio. They've done really well that side. So on that sense, they're a little bit more, you know, they might be triples <laughs> where on the investment side, they're doubles but they're so simple. I spend zero time on them other than 
I get a monthly or a quarterly distribution, do the math and see how my returns are, do the math on the single family side. I'm making way more money on the cash flow with the passive investments with lifting zero fingers. So for me and where I'm at in my stage of life, I love the passive side because it's just, it's just boring. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good No excuse. drama. Yeah, it's easy. People often look at their ROI, right? But then they don't consider what their time is in that component. Exactly. You know, what's your return on time invested, you know? So yeah, you might be getting a triple on those single families, but you are doing everything over there versus right. those syndications. You might be getting a double, but you look at it three times a year, four times a year. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, we had those, like we just did, we refinanced four properties. We closed last month. It was a lot of work, but they appreciated so well that we were able to do cash out refinances on these and then put that, those dollars to work in passive syndication in these large multifamily assets. And so that was a great source of capital, right? So that's why I would never disparage anybody from doing those single family rentals if you want to do that. But along the way, you know, I've got a fourplex in San Antonio, the alley behind there. Literally every other month, I'm spending about 600 bucks for my handyman to bring a dumpster in to clean out the trash that's been dumped in the alley. Because I'm getting oh, yeah. calls from the city of San Antonio saying, hey, you've got a pile of trash in the backyard. You better clean it up right now. And I've got to pay this guy, literally, it's $600 for a dumpster rental. Is that much trash that's getting dumped in the back alley? And it's not your trash. It's not my trash. It's not my tenant's trash. We're close. It's close to the Salvation Army. So, you know, make your own judgments there, assumptions. And so, you know, I'm dealing with that nonsense. It's, you know, I've got three of those tents have been struggling to pay since the pandemic hit. So it's, you know, yeah, I've got a good property manager, but I'm still dealing with all the drama with that. Mm -hmm. Where with the passive side, nothing. You don't <laughs> know what kind of dumpsters are going on at that exactly. apartment complex at all, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's why I'd much rather take a double with no headaches versus a triple with a ton of headaches. That's a good soundbite right there. Brad, when people are talking about possibly or thinking about possibly investing passively in syndications in larger multifamily deals, they might be unaware of what capital they can actually put towards it. So they might be just looking at their savings account or their checking account, right? And thinking, okay, what money do I have to put forth towards one of these syndications? But in truth, there are different ways you can fund these. Can you tell us a little about those options? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you've got somebody who's just got 25, 50 grand in a savings account, okay, we can help you there. Because <laughs> that savings account, you're losing money there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if somebody's just got a you know non-tax advantaged account, they can just write a check for it. Fantastic. We can make a generate solid returns. For me, my first deal, we did it with my self-directed IRA. Yeah. Uh, so IRA money, this IRAs, these dollars came from 401ks from previous employers that I once you know was no longer employed, rolled those into self-directed IRAs. I've used that money to buy. The first thing I did there was I bought a rental with my IRA. Looking back, I wish I would have put that money in a passive investment like what we're talking about now. Yeah. I've had some investors who have even borrowed out of their current 401k if they've got a lot of dollars in their 401k. You can't, you know, I'm not telling, having them cash it out, but they can take a loan against their 401k and the returns that we're generating on these investments are still, despite the interest they might pay on that 401k loan, are still, you know, it's a solid return to make it worthwhile to, to borrow to place in these types of investments. So, Self-directed IRAs, self-directed 401ks, employer-sponsored 401ks, life insurance. I've got. Oh, yeah. That's another unique one. Yeah. My wife and I started our whole life policies 15 years ago, and those have done well for us. We borrow out of those and we put those in, in apartment syndications as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Investors that do that. So, yeah, you never know. Home equity loans. <laughs> you know, you've got people that are 
You can get creative for sure. Maybe equity in your rental properties, right? Maybe you do have that portfolio of small multis, duplexes, triplexes, single families, whatever. You've got a bunch of equity built in those, you know, do like you did, refinance and pull out the equity put in a syndication, right? Absolutely. That's exactly what we did. And I encourage it. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Tell us your thoughts on, you know, investing in stocks, bonds, the 401k vehicle or an IRA vehicle as opposed to syndications, because you've been involved in both sides of those. So tell us what you like personally. Yeah, you know, I definitely wouldn't say it's an either or. My stance is some people take a hard line. They, they hate stocks. They want people to get all their money out of stocks. You know, I participated in the Airbnb and DoorDash IPOs this week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. <laughs> they doubled overnight. Like, I'm not going to discourage anybody from taking advantage of those. If you've got an employer doing a 401k match, the way I always approached it was I would put in just enough in that 401k to get the match. I saw that as, you know, essentially 100% return the way that was done where I was. Yeah, I'm going to take those dollars. As soon as I quit that employer, now I'm going to take it out of that 401k and put it into my IRA so I can do whatever I want with it. For me, I really enjoy the tangible aspect of real estate. The fact that I buy this thing as an investment, I can drive over to it, put my finger on the wall. This is providing a home for people. There's always going to be a need for that. I know exactly what I've bought. Where if people are putting money into mutual funds, you know, and you have to dig deep into a prospectus to find out what your dollars are getting invested into. You have no oh, yeah. control. Yeah. And then, I mean, when you've got all of a sudden Russia and Iran decide to start having an oil pricing war, you know, that affects the US stock market. All right. I mean, I don't want my family's future tied to geopolitical nonsense that I have no influence <laughs> over. You can't understand right? it. You can't control it. It's like, is that how you want to build your financial future? Right. And you know, we all saw people who were close to retirement in 2000, 2007. Now that they have to go to get a job at Walmart because they couldn't afford to retire because their stock market, their stock portfolio got wiped out. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be in that position. So yes, I do have money in some stocks, but that's my play money. I see my whole life policy. That's my safe money. Where I really see where I'm growing my wealth is in the real estate investment opportunities. Yeah, sure. Well, Brad, what's some actionable advice you could give someone who's, you know, maybe got a portfolio of smaller multifamilies or even single family properties is really wanting to turn that corner, kind of grow and scale into these larger deals at kind of a point like you found yourself in at one point? Yeah, I think going in is a first step as a passive investor is really educational. You'll see how the active sponsors are presenting the property, the numbers that they're putting out there. You can learn about how they've done their due diligence. And then you can see how those quarterly or monthly updates are coming, how the cash flows are distributed. You look at the investor portals. You can learn a ton by going in as a passive investor. You know, that avenue may not be open to everybody because most deals do require that the investors be accredited. And so mm-hmm. there's that hurdle. If you are accredited and you want to get into the become an active sponsor, I would still suggest start as a passive one time, one or two or three times and see how that goes. You'll learn a ton there. If you're not able to take advantage, if you're not accredited, there are some deals that are open for non-accredited investors. You can find those. We do some of those. We do a handful each year. And so that's another way to get in. But if that's still not, you know, you don't have the dollars available to that, then just reach out to people like me, other operators who are willing to teach and mentor and find ways to provide value. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's a great path. You know, being on that passive side, you can kind of see, like you said, what an operator is doing, what kind of uh, material they're presenting to the passive investors, right? What kind of homework and due diligence they're doing. And then you can kind of take that forward. And if you decide, hey, I want to take this to the next step and be an active investor, well, you can take all that knowledge with you. 
you might just find yourself content being in that passive world. Right. And, and to be honest, at this point, I'm still not sourcing my own deals. I've partnered with other operators who are the ones sourcing it. My specialty is bringing dollars to those deals. And for me, that's a blast. You know, I found this niche that I can play in to make these deals work. And again, you know, I'm not even dealing with the property managers. It's, I enjoy that. I'm a fan of passive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what excites you about the apartment industry and the real estate investing world these days, Brad? It's been a, an interesting year. And looking at our portfolio of how we've done during the pandemic, most of our properties have done really well. There was one property where we paused renovations and paused distributions. Happened to be, it's right, it was in Orlando, right next to Disney World. Many of those tenants were Disney World employees. And there was also a lot of small little uh, universities and colleges right around there as well. And when they all got sent home, we lost that tenant population. So we dropped down into like the high 80s. 88% was our occupant, our lowest occupancy rate. And that was our bumpiest property. So despite the whole global economy coming to a screeching halt, the worst performing asset dropped to an 88% occupancy well above our break-even, still had the ability to make distributions. We were just being extra cautious. And it, we're right back now. People, we've caught everybody up or we're good. There was no like, okay, the world's falling apart. People still have to have a place to live. And yeah, you know, we lost the 20-year-olds. <laughs> That went home to mom and dad's house. Back home, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But there's still plenty of other people in Orlando that need a place to live. And so for me, it excites me that there's, we just proved the case that despite everything else going on, these types of assets do really well in the up or down markets. And you're seeing how many people are, you know, jumping into the market right now. The valuations are going higher. It's it's just a fun time to be in multifamily. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, what kind of like gets you out of bed with the real estate things? Is it like, are you numbers driven or is it, you know, and it means to like a lifestyle that you want? What kind of motivates you to do these things? You know, I graduated from college with a finance degree, but I'm not a numbers guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I understand the financial concepts. I know how to, you know, work a spreadsheet. I thought I was good at Excel until I met my wife and she's an Excel geek. I mentioned she's a CPA. She's a numbers person. I like being out in front and talking to people. And she likes, I mean, she could spend her whole day just looking at Excel spreadsheets. I couldn't do that. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> being out of, the, out of bed is having conversations like this and talking to other potential investors. You know, it's definitely numbers are going to be part of that conversation, but it's more of a, you know, we're talking just high level education opportunity with people who want to get into real estate, looking for an avenue into it. I love more of the personal interactions for sure. I completely agree with you there. You know, once I found this world of real estate investing and stumbled upon it for myself, I, you know, obviously love talking about it. I started the podcast for that reason, right? So yeah, I resonate with that. You know, just being able to share these conversations and tell people about this world that you found that's so cool and, you know, can do great things for you. Right. That's me. I sometimes I get on a soapbox. We have people over for dinner <laughs> way more than I should. Cause I was like, hey guys, this is cool. This is exciting. What do you do with your 401k, by the way? Uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Hey, I know you guys have had a good year. What have you done with your investments? What kind of stuff are you doing this year? Have you heard about multifamily commercial deals? Your wife is like, Brad, stop it. <laughs> enough, enough. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Well, Brad, tell us about what you're doing these days and what kind of a future looks like for you and, and your company. Yeah. So our company is called Sugar House Investments. It's a nod to our Utah roots. One of the cool neighborhoods in Salt Lake City is called Sugar House. So even by the fact we're here in Texas, we named it that. And that's where I spend my time. I do a lot of investor, spend a lot of time with, with my current investors, as well as the prospective investors, despite 
COVID, still doing a lot of networking. So a lot of outdoor coffee, coffee meetings these uh-huh. days. Yeah. Investor onboarding calls. So what happens is people learn about us. They come onto our website and say that they're interested in learning more. Following SEC guidelines, we need to make sure we have a pre-existing relationship. So we'll get on a phone call, get a Zoom call and start getting to know each other. So spend several hours a day talking to potential investors. And to be honest, it's just, it's not a 40 hour gig. So it's pretty systematized at this point, but most of my time is spent visiting with investors. And then as we have new deals come up, I participate in the due diligence. You know, Generally pre-COVID, I would fly out to a property. Now we're trying to do stuff more local so we can all drive out to these properties so we can still complete the due diligence. But it's the deals we're talking about. It's not like we're doing multiple deals a month. It's five or six or seven deals a year. Yeah, and so as right. that gets, you know, we get more busy around those times when we're getting all the dollars in to be able to close on that. But in a, on a regular day, it's mostly just a handful of a prospective investor conversations and fine-tuning the website, podcasts, interviews, etc. Yeah. You want to give us kind of your crystal ball uh, perspective outlook of what you see in the next few years in the world of a uh, multifamily? Okay. I thought you were going to ask in the next few months and I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's way too hard. <laughs> yeah. But who knows what's going to happen in the next few months? But next few years, yes. You know, this is, you know, so many people are aware of real estate. So many people want to get in. Lots of people started in the single family, moving up to the multifamily. So I think we're just going to see valuations continue to rise. It's going to be continue to be competitive even more so. But I think, again, just these are really truly recession resistant assets. So just, Regardless of whatever happens in the global economy or the U.S. economy, these assets are just going to be slow and steady, solid performers. We've had so many up years in the real estate market. We're due for a decline. Maybe that'll happen in the 2021, but I don't see that being very long term. I think you look at 22 and 23, we're going to be right back to if there was a dip, I think that'll be very short lived. Yeah, yeah. I find macroeconomics really interesting. Always looking at supply and demand, looking for those imbalances, right? And just trying to, you know, gauge where the market's going and, you know, make sure that we're doing the right thing. Right. It's just amazing to me that the pandemic, I mean, literally the global economy came to a screeching halt for several months and real estate just kept on plugging away and deals were still being made. The deal flow certainly slowed down. We didn't do nearly as many deals this year as we had hoped to or planned on. So that flow slowed down, but it's, again, it didn't blow up. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And that slowdown almost just seemed just mostly due to the uncertainty in the future, exactly. right? Not not due to like current fundamentals. It wasn't like the assets weren't performing, people weren't paying rent. It was just due to that kind of uncertainty. And you've had some government intervention going on. And we still do a little bit. So I think that right. played into it mostly. Yeah, I think we all spent, we were all in shock for a little bit, like peeking out the blinds, like, is the world still there? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. It felt like that. Yeah, it was definitely unsettling for several months. Well, Brad, it's been a fun conversation. We wrap up every one of our interviews with a lightning round, just a series of questions we fire at you. Are you up for it? Ready. Let's do it. Awesome. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Biggest hurdle. I was fortunate in my first, I mentioned my first purchase was a condo. My boss slash partner at the time was willing to be my bank. So when I was looking at how to qualify for a loan, you know, that's generally people's biggest hurdle. Had a conversation with him that I was looking and turned out he was willing to be my lender on that. So right out of the gate, learned a lot from that. So most people are going to say dollars. Yeah. It's, I, yes, I was fortunate to know somebody, but we all know somebody has dollars to lend. So it's dollars, but then start talking to people, start talking to people who 
might have the potential to help you do some creative financing. Don't let dollars get in your way. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Brad, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? I'm thinking of several. It's continuing education, constant education. I used to read more books. I have two kids now. Finding time to actually sit down and read is more challenging. <laughs> but I, I turned into a podcast guy. Thank you oh, for yeah. doing <laughs> yeah, you know, thank you. <laughs> and then audiobooks for sure is one thing to to find some time to listen to something as opposed to sitting down reading these days with my little kids. But yeah, just making sure that you're always learning. You know, that's not to say you know there's not time for entertainment and some garbage nonsense every once in a while. We all have our guilty pleasures, but you should be learning something new every day, one way or another. Yeah, completely agree. Brad, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? I was many years into my real estate career before I came across Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. I did learn a ton from there, especially when I came to Texas and wanted to get into some more of the active strategies, creative financing, sub to burrs. Bigger Pockets was really helpful. And despite the fact that they're primarily focused on single family resources, there's a ton there for multifamily as well. And that's in fact where I have met a lot of multifamily operators too. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Brad, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? One that I frequently go back to and I practice it on a, I try to do it on a morning basis. I even have my schedule written up over here on my wall is, comes from Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning book. Yeah. Are you familiar with one? Yeah. Yeah. So the savers, right? The savers. That's, yeah. that's right. He's um, a fellow Austinite. That's right. So just having that morning routine, getting up early enough so that you can get through that, that can be a time where you educate yourself, have a little time to yourself before the kids get up. That can be really, really beneficial. So that's just, about, you know, what to recommend. That's a book that, you know, it's here in my shelf, but I'm using it every day in the practice that he recommends. So I certainly recommend that one. Yeah, that's great. Now, whether you can get all that in or just, you know, a short version, I think starting the day on your own terms, you know, lays the foundation for, you know, the rest of the day. Absolutely. It's helpful. Brad, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, which you almost did. <laughs> What would you tell 20-year-old Brad? Buy more. Buy more. When I think about what, like that condo, for example, I think about that for somewhere around like $95,000 back in, this is 2002. The last I heard, I still have some friends in that area. Those things were going for like 170, 180, something like that. No, I think it was even, even higher than that. But it's just, you make wealth in buying and holding assets as opposed to buying them, selling them four or five years later. Buy more, hold on to them the sooner the better. There's a truly a cost. It, and it's, I mean, it is actual dollars. There is a cost to waiting. So the longer, yeah, for sure. the higher that cost is. So buy and buy more. Awesome. Well, Brad, hey, you are no stranger to talking with people about real estate investing. You obviously enjoy it, do it a lot. If people wanted to reach out, talk more, continue the conversation, where's the best place for them to reach out to you? Best place to find me? I'm certainly encouraging. We're welcome. It's my job. So I do enjoy it. Best place to find us is at sugarhouseinvestments.com. On our website, you can find our my email address there or just put your email address in there and find more about our deals that we put out in front of our database. So yeah, sugarhouseinvestments.com. That's the best place to find us. Awesome. Well, as we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience members? Get going. Get started one way or another, whether it's by yourself or with a team, find a partner, find some dollars. There's ways to it. Always ways to achieve any obstacle. I love it. Well, Brad, that's sugarhouseinvestments.com if people want to reach out there. Are you active on any social media channels or bigger pockets, et cetera? Yes. All those LinkedIn, Facebook, bigger pockets for sure. You can find me there as well. Awesome. Well, Brad, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's 
been a lot of fun talking with you. Look forward to having you back on in the future. All right. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you. Take care. You too. up this week's episode with our guest brad shepherd hey what a fun conversation i hope you got so much value from that podcast i want to thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast week in and week out but i know you're not doing it for me you're doing it for you and you should be proud of yourself for continuing to further your education by listening to great guests just like this and i hope you're following up and taking action As always, if you want to learn more about any of the things we mentioned during the podcast, you can find links to those in the show notes. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com or reach out on Instagram. You can follow me there. I've been getting a little more active on the platform. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Would love to hear from you. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.